Section 23 of Birds and Nature, Volume 11, Number 1, January 1902. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. The Birds in Their Winter Home In the Woods From the region of the Great Lakes to the Gulf, there is no section that contains more to interest the naturalist than the hills and forests of central Mississippi. Here no winter's rigors chill the blood and drive the forest folk to remote or inaccessible retreats. Into this land of warmth and sunshine, this land of the possum, persimmon, and the piccaninny, Jack Frost does not come till November is well advanced. Even then he comes only to clear the air, bring down the leaves, and announce the coming of the short, make-believe winter. Go outdoors in December after the leaves have fallen, and take note of the varied life in wood, field, and brake. Think that now in the faraway north the wind howls through the leafless trees, finding few creatures hardy enough to resist his blasts, save the snowbird and the hare. The blasts of chill November and chillier December have sent myriads of birds down here where food is plenty in savannah, forest, and thicket. On the wooded knolls under the beeches and hollies congregate the hungry hordes, feasting on seeds and berries of the rattan, holly, and smilax. Flying in and out of the briar thickets are innumerable white-throated sparrows fleeing from frozen Canada and the lake country. A clear, long-drawn whistle strikes the ear. We seek the source. A little brown bird much the size and shape of an English sparrow, seated on a shrub, projecting from the briars, raises his head and whistles a sound as pure and free from flaw as the little spot of white upon his throat. Chewinks as fussy as old hens toss the dead leaves about. Grackles in shining black stalk dignifiedly about, while cardinals in low boughs and underbrush give a touch of vivid color to the scene just as the pink and white dresses of the girls form a pleasing contrast to the somber blacks and grays of the gentlemen's attire at a fourth of july celebration second to none in delicate beauty of coloring king of his tribe is the fox sparrow russet and rufus on the back beneath the white marked with brilliant stripings of the same color as the back on the feathers of his head and upper neck a clear pearly luster which is iridescent in the sunshine but invisible in the shadow he is a marked bird the peer of any in the woods happy the bird lover who has the opportunity to study this magnificent bird in his winter home one so favored can well afford a feeling of pity for the less fortunate dwellers in the central states who seldom make his acquaintance except through the medium of the museum or the manual florida blue jays in black white and blue hop about among the rustling leaves or seated on a limb hammer away at an acorn possessing a more extensive vocabulary than our familiar northern jays more loquacious more sociable they are certainly the artists of the tribe no one who has ever heard their clear musical notes as they play in the treetops or hop about on the lawns as friendly and cheerful as robins can ever entertain quite such a low opinion of their musical ability as he did before. Resonant, ringing, tinkling, 
this call is the forest chime that summons the little children of the wood to vespers heard at evening with white throats calling to one another from brush heaps and briar thicket it is the expression of this strong pure life away from the haunts of men under such surroundings it is easy to forget the cruelty practiced by our gifted bluecoat when spring has filled these woods and fields with nests and nestlings but here comes one for whom no cloak of charity is needed the musician preeminent among all this gifted throng the carolina wren a slender curved beak a trim bunch of cinnamon brown feathers barred with darker brown on wings and tail a buff breast a little throat pulsating with vigorous buoyant life are the most conspicuous characteristics of this chorister of winter woods he has been called the mocking wren let no one be deluded by such a term into the belief that he has no individuality for although his song has in it the whistle of the cardinal the dignified song of the brown thrasher and the effervescence of the mockingbird through it all there runs a peculiar quality all his own swinging on a rattan vine singing with all the abandon of a bright may morning he seems the most vigorous exponent of the strenuous life in this land where languorous breezes blow soft and warm bringing with them a suggestion of the sun-kissed waters of the gulf and odors of resin and turpentine from the interminable forests that intervene between us and the coast down by the branches on cold frosty mornings you will find a little brown ball of a bird that with tail tilted up over his back dives under every bridge slides into every brush heap or hides tantalizingly behind every log that comes in his path not shy yet not bold he disappears from view at the most exasperating moments coming with the frosts going away when they cease he certainly deserves the name of winter wren shorter than the carolina darker on the back and tail his nervous fidgety manner makes it an easy matter to distinguish him from his more talented cousin in these winter woods he never sings beyond an occasional metallic chip now and then i have never heard him give utterance to the emotions that fill his plump little breast he is the silent observer of the busy life about him a sitter in his own chimney corner where he smokes his pipe and studies life subjectively a modest little philosopher in cinnamon brown and black darting in and out among the lower branches of a giant beech now flitting to a new position with movements as sudden and unexpected as those of a hummingbird now running along a limb like the brown creeper comes another tiny friend the ruby-crowned kinglet a plain little quaker he seems in a suit of olive green without a patch of yellow or black to relieve the severe simplicity of his garb even the tufts of brilliant red feathers on his head is concealed from vulgar gaze if you have sharp eyes and a moderate degree of patience your efforts to get a glimpse of the red tuft will by and by be crowned with success but don't be disappointed if you don't see the ruby the first time you see the bird i had observed the cheerful little chap time after time in my morning rambles in the woods and had come to know every twist and motion of the tiny body before i caught a glimpse of the longed-for tuft finally one morning as he bent his head to pick up some sweet tidbit the olive-green feathers parted 
and I saw his tiny crown. A modest, genial little anarchist he is, never parading his opinions before an admiring public, but suddenly springing down in front of us on some low bush, he flaunts his red flag and is gone before we realize it. Having once learned how and when to look for his crown, it is an easy matter to find it again whenever his little majesty feels inclined to give you the opportunity. James Stephen Compton End of section 23